This is That's Another Story Told, the podcast. The author, the narrator, the short story. Together they dance in your ears. Hello and welcome to episode six of That's Another Story Told with me, Ian Pringle. In this episode, I will be reading a short story called Adder, written by Vicky Riddle. Well, I say short story, but actually it's about an hour long, so we've split it into two. Uh, This is part one, and part two will follow shortly. So, without further ado, here it is. Adder by Vicky Riddle Read by Ian Pringle I know a thing or two about story. I am a story. We all of us are. A beginning, a middle an end, with twists and turns, dips and highs, our lots drawn secretly, without any such thing as permission. Trouble is, can't take our eyes off the road to give fate a nod. Somehow that road just keeps on. For some, it's paved with yellow bricks. Others, a mountain with a crescent moon bear waiting at the top, a cave holding out for the tinkling light of flashing mirrors, perhaps an unimaginably still lake drinking in all that it sees. I wore a little red cape. My daughter has one now, but she's not worn it. Not yet. It's only a fairy tale, with a little crafty fox looking behind her back. I wore a little red cape beside a forest of deeps I can only imagine. The dark, dank smell of earth and mystery, a sign, wooden, hand-painted, foretells the fate of that place to hold the adder as its symbol. The most shy creature who stands against the movement of times, who whispers the ancients' secrets. The little girl did not step across the threshold this time. But she will, she will, and the adder will be waiting. She walked in the town with her mother, looking around quietly at the hustle and bustle. Nothing comes to her, no questions, no disquiet, no thing. She was a child with nothing to think about, really. The mother provided love unquestionably. The father was steady, providing love unquestionably. The town had the things they needed. The home was there. The countryside was nice. What she wanted was to be left alone. Not in a total apocalypse kind of alone, more a silence where she could breathe so the clamour didn't reach her. So the adder could sleep. Or so the adder could steely stare. Jenna stood quietly at the door, taking in the cool, minimalist interior, the open window, the odd sculpture on a corner table that drew her eye. It was not that she didn't want to go in, rather the scene repelled her, made her feel less. Her first thought was angry. I hate this bullshit. The second thought was fear. I hate this bullshit. The third thought? Well, wouldn't we like to know, because at that point Jenna closed herself down, 
smiled, and entered the room. Jenna is good at this third art, the art of placing herself far away from the situation she is in. Jenna is skilled at diplomatic shutdown. The trouble is, Jenna doesn't understand that the wily sculpture is always there to draw her eye. The sculpture is eyeing calmly, neither interested nor disinterested. As is her wont, the sculpture chooses to simply be there, to wait, to watch. She tilts her head to take a different perspective, but she does not comment. She notes to herself, I have been here before. I have watched this in another time. I will see it again. None of this is heard, of course, because the sculpture is merely an object, placed and replaced, depending on... Depending on what? Well, this is the question that her owner often asks, for he cannot remember when his sculpture came into his ownership, or why, even, he still owns it, and yet it is always there, somehow finding always a place. Often he asks it questions, slightly embarrassed, but still with an urgency that surprises him, as he is not, at all, an urgent sort of man, rather the opposite. Does he wait for an answer? Not particularly. The answer, if it ever comes, seems to slip from his grasp, like a snake sliding over the grass and disappears. And the question? She keeps that within her. The sculpture. She holds on to that. She remembers and remembers and remembers. Jenna is not funny but she finds she comes across as funny when she sells. The people want something from her, and she provides it. Not only that, they suck at her, so she gives more. She's good at this, her funniness, but it comes at a cost. She can't put her finger on it, but sometimes she feels a trickle in her body, a bit like when you drink cold water and feel it flow down into your stomach. It leaves a sensation that is something like fallacy. She turns her back on the sculpture. She does not like its familiarity. She can only do the funny if she is a stranger. She eyes the room again and places herself close enough to the door to escape, but far enough away to show that she has no intention of leaving. She then flicks her hair, smiles and begins. Nothing is sacred for this little girl. She sees everything with vivid clarity because she sees much for the first time. She likes forest, the look of forest. A place for hide and seek, a place to hide and seek. She is told many things, some of which sticks like a post-it note and she references it word for word when it is suggested that she should do. The other many things float away. Seed in the wind. The little girl has no need for them. They are the desires of others and have no place on her body. She wants to explore. The little red cape flies around her as if telling her to go. To go. To go. Jenna smiles and laughs and twirls for her audience. They are all enchanted. All but the sculpture who holds her space around her like a cloak. 
Jenna makes sure to keep her back to the unnerving sculpture, feeling that she somehow would become frozen, lose control, lose her audience. As the evening draws to a close, Jenna intuits how each goodbye needs to end. A heartfelt hug, firm handshake, an acknowledgement of a previous conversation, a nod to familiarity. Each and every person is touched. Once more, as simultaneously understanding this will only be on another's terms. Jenna chooses her time to leave, and its fluidity amazes as well as calms. She walks away, job done, satisfied, a warm glow of having been part of something. She goes home, strips herself, takes a book and buries herself in another world. He wanders the room, where only an hour previously bodies stood together, talking and feigning, fidgeting and flailing. He nods imperceptibly to himself. Job done. Pat on the back. Good man. Well done. He finds himself at the sculpture and reaches out to touch the porcelain, feeling its curves and dips, absent-mindedly allowing his fingers to explore the surface. He comes to slightly embarrassed, of what he does not know, but he takes his hand away, almost speaking an apology. The room feels empty, devoid of feeling, and he is thankful. He reaches out to the wooden blind and carefully closes out the world. He takes a book and disappears into another world. At night, the forest is a million things. The trees speak hushed tones of what has been witnessed. The rush, sniffle, rustles and scents fill the air, creating a dome of sound that ripples through like waves. The forest responds. The forest listens. The forest is instinct. The snake sleeps. The little girl is excited. She can hear the movement and is ready like a nocturnal animal at the mouth of their burrow, sniffing at the possibilities. She is looking deeply into the forest, searching for the light and, finding none, glances up at the moon, finding comfort in the moth's muse. She gathers her red cape about her, a protective layer, and lays down almost immediately, falling falling into a deep, precious, velvety sleep. Where does the little girl go, my darling? Where does she go? The sculpture shifts in her clay. She is a form, a movement, and she breathes the air around her, sucking it in, allowing the invisible to flow through her pores. She is not averse to company, but she prefers her solitude, prefers to observe. She picks up the energy that surrounds her, but rather than letting it soak into her, she handles it, weighs it up, analyzes and lets it go. The sculpture knows she is felt by others. She knows her power. She thinks to herself, I will watch and wait. I am here too. I am here too.
Jenna wakes. Jenna wakes at the same time every morning, her body clock primed, ignorant of the number of hours Jenna has slept. She likes the mornings. They are quiet, gently intercepted with the hopeful sounds of the day. Jenna is not a lie-in kind of person. Generally, she wakes, her mind buzzing with a hundred things to do and be. She'll run through the people she will come into contact with and thinks carefully about the clothes that will cover the day's roles, the things she needs to remember about particular people, the questions she must ask, the answers she needs to prepare. There is nothing really that Jenna likes to leave to the gods, and when they roll in and change things up, there is a rage there that nearly blows her apart. I don't like to be hidden, but I do prefer to be subtly placed. There was a time when I was subjected to a round table right in the middle of a hallway. Here, I had to suffer the comings and goings whilst being almost completely ignored and forgotten. Every so often, a visitor would ask about me and they would trundle out the same old tripe where I was bought, how much I cost, how much I'm worth now, etc., etc., as if an object do only be passed through the system. I know my worth. I am full of worth. I am worthful. If you only threw a glance sideways, you might even sense me. I am a bundle of senses. The little girl stands quietly in front of the sign. She knows its significance. An intuitive knowledge. She can smell the must that rises like a thick vapour from the mulchy floor, the smell of instinct and ancient. The little girl is not afraid, nor does she have the arrogance the adults hold when they are cornered by that which is more powerful than they. She takes a step forward, twigs cracking underfoot, the red cape swishing around her. Come, my darling. Come, come. The little girl looks behind her and smiles, for she, only she, knows. One step, two step, three step, in. He awakes, crumpled, looks around in the semi-dark, feels his way around the room with his sense. He listens beyond the door, listening with his being, finding the calm of the sculpture. He does not know this is what he is looking for, but somehow the sculpture finds him in the half-light of truth. He turns over and looks towards the window and wonders if he will see anything new once the day is allowed entry. He doubts it. He is only surprised by the fierceness of his rage that resides somewhere inside his dark centre. The mother watches on. The mother does not move an inch. She is compelled to stay and witness with paralysis holding her body tight to the ground. She knows now she can do nothing more than wait, wait, wait. Jenna walks as if in a dream. She cannot shake the feeling that something is different, a small seismic shift in the universe. 
that butterfly has flapped her wings. It doesn't feel unpleasant, but Jenna is unnerved. Change is not her forte. Change means she must strengthen her defences, and this means burying herself further. But for now, her dreamlike demeanour gives her space to breathe air that she is not troubled to intake for a long time. She sucks in and hums out, the rhythm taking over her gait, and she sees the trees lining the broad street, the faint flicker of light as the sun catches in the windows, the shadows laugh and dance, the snake feels the warmth on her skin and quivers, a minute movement filled with hunger. Everything is here in the forest. The little girl skips, half running, half walking, as children are wont to do, an inner energy that flickers faster than the world around them. She has no idea of where she goes, the friction therefore being inconsequential, and she just lets her body take her as it wills, drawn on by some unseen, unfathomable hunger to suck in the world around and hum the song of Gaia through her very toes. The little girl feels no danger. She leaps and bounds, touches and smells, collects and forgets, forgets, foregoes. The sculpture reaches out to him as he enters the room. She bends herself willfully towards him for she knows that today will make a difference. Today he can choose a path that could open his world to... To what? Well, simply, open his world. Yes, yes, the sculpture thinks, a path less trodden, etc., etc., but no. She knows well how to be still, how to take in the smallest of things, appreciate the minutest change in the smallest of environments. The little girl feels, for possibly the first time in her small being, that she is part of something solid. The very nature of nature has enveloped her, taken her in as its very own. She is the ground, the foliage, the sunlight streaking through the trees, the bony branches reaching outwards, the woodlouse scurrying. She has stopped now, for the little girl has become absorbed in the smallest of things. Her focus has honed right down from the expansiveness of the forest to the minutiae that litters the floor. She gathers stones, husks of seed pouches and nuts, flowers and twigs. She collects, orders, discards and stores these things in a way that an adult could not bear. It is non-linear and so, so, so important. The little girl is completely secure in her absorption. So concentrated she does not hear the rustle of movement behind her. A bird ticks and gibbers in the trees above. She looks up from her play, peering around, her eyes adjusting from the immediate to the wider circle. She is not afraid. She has no reference for that. No, the little girl is curious, alert, pricking up her ears, sniffing at the air. Jenna feels strangely caught between two worlds and she stumbles in one world and dances in the other. Jenna stops short, 
right there in the middle of the street and turns to look behind her. She is not expecting to see anything out of the ordinary, but she does sense that she is being watched. It is not a watching that is menacing, rather a curiosity emanates from the hidden eyes that survey her coolly. Jenna turns to the shop window beside her and checks herself. She looks closely at her eyes, trying to somehow see through them and into the depths of herself. She pulls herself upright, straightens her shoulders, adjusts her jumper, pulling it down to accentuate her neckline. She flicks her hair and upturns the corners of her mouth slightly. Jenna is prepared for anything. Well, anything in the literal world. What lies beyond that is a mystery, and Jenna doesn't do mysteries. They are too revealing. The man pulls away from the window where he's been watching the woman. He's embarrassed by his voyeurism, although he hadn't really intended to watch anyone as he pulled up the blind. The gate had pulled his eye, one that was recognisable but faintly different, like she was thinking something unfathomable, unreadable from the outside, but for the slightest change in her step. He knew the woman from the soiree he had hosted. She was the one that the room had bent towards, snaked around her, fed off her. He had stayed away from her. He doesn't really mingle in these situations. Rather, he gathers people together and watches from the sidelines. No one would ever know this, for he is a chameleon of many coats. Invisibility is his asset. He can be there and not be there. He noticed the sculpture had not been impressed. The sculpture had told him to stay distant from the web of woven lines crackling around the woman. He had listened. He listens. He is a listener. And now a watcher. Sniffing at the air, she watches. She is watched. The little girl stops her formation on the forest floor and surveys her surroundings. She sees the wolf, the fox, the eagle, the bear, the wildcat, the ferret, the spider, the snake. She understands she is in the territory of another and she shifts her body to accommodate the sense of docility she needs to adopt. The little girl is primed now, running on ancient intuition. This is not a fear bred from the mutterings and stutterings of the newspapers or television. This is pure, visceral, authentic to her animal nature. The red cape lies quietly on the ground. The little girl is thoughtful, wondering what else lays beyond her seeing eyes. She understands that mysteries are as real as the real. She steadies herself on all fours and turns towards the sound. First, she sees the movement. Second, the eyes. Third, she sees the ground move apart in ripples and waves. Colours melding, merging into the environment, then starkly vivid, patterns blindingly beautiful. She is beautifully blinded. The sculpture regards the cool blue light of the sky, letting the languid air flow over her from the open window. She is serene in her temperament and posture. 
there is nothing I have not seen before, she thinks. This does not stop her appreciating what the world offers. Indeed, the sculpture takes on every minute as new, allowing herself to experience present, presence, prescient moments. The sculpture's way of being is born from thousands of years of holding form on planet Earth. Of course, she is much older than this, being born from the very earthly Earth. I am ancient and new, she states. No judgment, a fact, a known, an ancient right bestowed upon her to see this world travel through the constructs of time, clock, tick, tock, time. The sigh within her exhales out through her being and flows to meet the air outside. She is aware of his change before even he is himself. She understands this is a moment within which he can choose to shed and shift, the great snakeskin shed in one piece. She knows too this could be his destruction, destructiveness, destructible, destructively now. Aha, oho, tracks in the snow. Where do they lead to and where do they go? She sighs. Onwards, 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 and upwards, 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 the path of flight of Icarus, that young, foolish boy who believes only in his infallibility. Does he have a second to reflect before he bursts into flame, a shooting star, forever remembered as a moral, a reason not to be him? The answer behind, staying ordered, non-questioning, a function, Jenna jerks out of a deep reverie and looks around, aware that she has been caught out. She feels self-conscious, laid bare, unsure of what she may have given away. No one seems to have noticed, and yet Jenna can't quite shake the feeling that the mask has slipped. She reaches up to her face with her fingers, physically checking that the usuals are still there. She notices the heat rising from her cheeks as if she has been out in the sun too long. Jenna sits up, straightens her shoulders, adjusts the neckline of her top, upturns the corners of her mouth and then slumps back, exhausted by the lie. What lie? She angrily asks herself. I am exactly who I am. There is no lie here. I do not need to look any further. There is nothing beyond apart from the constant questioning, constant questions, constant questing. The little girl asks the forest, What? The forest echoes. Why? She laughs with delight at this. Why, why, why? She shouts back. She feels safe as she witnesses the rippling movement encircle her, she is the middle, the centre, the point within the mandala. She spins slowly round as the forest becomes enlivened with the laughter of Hermes. The light glinting through the branches, sparkling magic, the leaves on the floor, floating gently. Flying fairies, the birds chirruping language of the untold, the eyes of the adder, searching, searching for her tail, 
a faint hissing creating a hum that fills the forest air. The little girl is entranced, and she sighs wondrously. He is perturbed. He likes that word, reminds him of his father. He would use words like perturbed to describe a major crisis. So the man feels perturbed, uncomfortable, but can't quite put his finger on it. He finds it difficult to settle, unsure what he should be doing. He circles the room, trying to find meaning in the objects that fill it. Meaning, meaningful, meaningless. He crosses the path of the circle he has made with his footsteps, holding a focused edge that has not been present before now. He reaches out to the sculpture, touching her familiar shape. He mutters under his breath, talking out all the unspoken words he has held inwards. He talks of the space he feels between him and the world. He talks of his infinite loneliness. He talks of his disappointment with life. He talks of his hopes and dreams that no longer make any sense to him. All the while he strokes and caresses the sculpture, willing her to connect back or connect him. If an outsider were to look in at this moment, they would see a man broken, broken down, bracken, dried, empty of water. The sculpture exhales deeply. Jenna is wondering how to bounce herself out of this strange feeling of disconnect. It is not that she hasn't felt this before, it's more that now it is a feeling that has leaked into her body, creating a heavy, concrete sensation. Sisyphus and his boulder, his burden, forever destined to roll his pain up the mountain. She struggles to sit up, she realises she is slumped in a chair. Jenna looks around and notices, possibly for the first time, the ugly, false light, the robotic nature of the other workers, the lack of air, the lack of air. Jenna wants to curl up, fetal. Or does she want to run? She thinks back to the many situations she's been in that have required utter control, total focus, steadfast concentration, and recognises that none of these situations will help her now for what she needs is to allow the flood, to accept the overwhelming flow, to stand in the middle of the circle and breathe out, breathe out, breath full, breath taking. The little girl watches in fascination as she is surrounded by the huge snake. She feels secure in the circle, as simultaneously wanting to be an integral part of the form that surrounds her. She has an impulse to cuddle into the beautiful diamond patterns painted on the snake's back, to hold on and merge with this powerful creature. She doesn't know this word, but she feels blessed. The snake curls in an arc until she comes to rest, head to tail. The humming forest is entrancing and the little girl is suddenly overcome with tiredness that takes her body completely. She lay down and curls herself up, fetal in her womb, her nest. The snake settles, muscles relax, only her eyes, sharp, cold, alert, hungry, other, 
stare out, unblinkingly surveying her world. For she is the queen here. The one that loves so much, that has such integrity, travels to the underworld and sees so much pain and rage, confusion and denial. She acts that he does, bringing a moment's peace to the pitiful. All of this for one true love. Orpheus, forever known for his mistake, his gut-wrenching choice to turn, to turn, that loses him the one thing that he holds dear. Orpheus, forever ripped apart and discarded in the river. He turns back, and nothing can save him. So that was Adder, written by Vicky Riddle and narrated by me, Ian Pringle. I hope you like that, and if you want to hear part two, then tune in to the next episode. Thank you for listening to Another Story Told, the podcast. We really hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, then please subscribe because you'll get a new story every week. If, like us, you want to celebrate new authors and narrators, then please share this as far and wide as you possibly can. Maybe you have a story of your own that you'd like to submit. To do that, just look at the show notes and all the information you need is there. Thank you.